Let us prepare for today's scripture reading with prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Give us the grace to receive your truth in faith and love and the strength to follow on the path you set before us. Galatians 1, 11 through 24. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the Church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim among him to the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went away at once to Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by the sight of the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, the one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The word of the Lord. We are uh, continuing by the Apostle to urge churches that uh, he had started to hold on to the gospel that he had preached in the face of other teachers who had come in after him. And in our text today, Paul is using his own story, his own testimony, to illustrate uh, for the, 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 church, the churches what his gospel looks like, to remind them of what it was that he had taught. And there, there are three things today that uh, I want to highlight here. First, where the gospel comes from. Second, how the gospel comes to us. And third, what the gospel does in and through us. And let's look at each of these. First, where does the gospel come from? We've seen throughout this first chapter of Galatians that Paul is deeply concerned uh, that these churches were being drawn away uh, from the gospel. Rather than rejoicing in the grace and peace that Jesus had won for them and living a life of gratitude in response, uh, a message of religious duty had begun to take hold in Galatia. Uh, Paul had preached to them, as we said last week, uh, believe in Jesus and you will be saved and then live a life of gratitude uh, uh, in response. Uh, but these new teachers had come to Galatia who were saying, believe in Jesus and obey the law, and then you will be saved. 
As I said last week, the order matters. And Paul writes to urge them to, to reject this false gospel and instead reaffirm the gospel of grace that he had proclaimed. And he does that today through the illustration of his own life experience. He tells about his earlier life in Judaism, not at all to denigrate his ethnic heritage, but to make the point to the Galatians that he had tried the path of religious effort himself. In fact, he was better at it than most people, but God had met him and called him into a relationship that was something totally different than anything he had known before. And this is why Paul emphasizes so strongly in verse 11 that what he had preached didn't have a human source. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying that the Christian message is not, what, not that we have found our way to God, but that God has found his way to us. The gospel is not something for us to achieve, but a message for us to receive and, and to believe. It tells us not what we must do for God, but what God has done for us in the person and work of Jesus. Why is this so important? Let me offer a kind of silly illustration. I've had uh, an ongoing debate uh, with my family over the last 20 some years uh, when we go out for ice cream. Uh, when we're choosing how many scoops of ice cream to get, I often say, well, after it's gone, you're still gonna have the same feeling. <laughs> you're still gonna want more. <laughs> and so you might as well just get, you know, a, a, a spoonful of ice cream and have that, because it's gonna be the same experience. No matter how much ice cream you, you get, you're still gonna want more. Uh, for me, this, this ice cream example is just a, a silly illustration of a more profound truth. We all know what it's like to have unsatisfied desires. Uh, and for most of us, it's not just about ice cream, but things that are far more, import more important. Our, our comforts, our sense of success, uh, our recognition from others. The 17th century philosopher and mathematician, Blaise Pascal, uh, put this, this kind of desire and craving at the heart of the human condition. And I, I put a quote from him on the reflections page you could look at later, but he says that these unsatisfied desires show us that we were made for something more. Now he says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim, but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object in other words, by God himself. He's saying, there's a reason why you always want more ice cream. Because you were made 
for a relationship with the source of infinite goodness and pleasure with God himself. And we keep trying to make finite, limited things satisfy our deepest longings. This is why the gospel cannot have a human source. It cannot just be another thing that we're passing down through human history or from one person to another. It comes from outside of us as a revelation of Jesus Christ. We cannot produce it ourselves or find it in anything in this world. God must come to us. So that's where the gospel comes from. But it's not enough to, to just know where it comes from. We also need to know how it comes. Paul's story gives us a model of how God enters our lives and reorients our desires. He writes, persecuting. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. If our natural inclination is to fill our need for an infinite God with finite created things, as Pascal says, then Paul shows us what it looks like to wake up to this reality. Notice how he describes his former life. For him, Judaism was not just a religion, it was a whole way of life that combined history, community, ethnicity, and, and morality. In verse 14, Paul talks about his people, the traditions of his ancestors, his zeal to perform well, and his advancement. None of these things are necessarily bad. There's nothing wrong with loving one's country or one's heritage or family. There's nothing wrong with performing well. But what Paul shows us is that when we put something created at the center of our lives rather than our creator, uh, even these good things can become destructive to us and, and to other people. When we take something good and we make it ultimate and we add it to our faith in Christ, it becomes a false gospel. Martin Luther said, as we heard earlier, to whatever we look for any good thing and for refuge in every need, that is what is meant by God. To have a God is nothing else than the trust and believe in him from the heart. So to whatever you give your heart and entrust your being, that, I say, is really your God. Once you see this, you realize that you're capable of making anything into this kind of God. Just think about where you go for refuge and what you naturally trust in, what you believe you need for life to be okay. It might be comfort or security or prestige or a relationship. 
whatever it is, you're looking for something created to satisfy you in a way that only the infinite God was meant to do. It doesn't mean that there's not a place for these good created things. Our creator wants us to have security and good relationships and to take pride in our work and creativity. But it's when we take these good things and make them ultimate that we put more weight on them than they can bear. We expect another human being to fulfill our hopes and dreams, and then we're surprised when they fail us. Or we look for a career to bring an ultimate meaning and purpose into our lives that it can never sustain. Through the gospel, we're freed to recognize our limitations and the limitations of others and turn towards the only one who can truly satisfy our hearts. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says it well. What is the chief end of man, the catechism asks? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What's more, when, when we stop worshiping created things and instead just let them be what they are, we're freed to receive them as gifts. When you look to another person to be everything for you, you will inevitably put too much pressure on the relationship. But when you can just let them be who they are, a finite human being with strengths and weaknesses and foibles just like you, then you no longer need them to be everything for you, and you can simply enjoy them for who they are. As C.S. Lewis wrote, aim for heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim for earth and you will get neither. Through the gospel, we, we let go of our need for control. We're able to do this because God shows that he is sovereign over our lives and we can trust him. Listen to what Paul says in verse 15. But when God, but when God who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, he doesn't take any credit for himself. He puts before the Galatians his story of God working in his life. He didn't advance to a new stage of spiritual insight. Instead, God is the agent here. Despite all that Paul had done, even to the point of persecuting and trying to destroy the church, God called him. He could do this because his relationship with Paul was not based on anything Paul had done. God had set him apart before he was born. The basis of God's relationship with Paul was only grace. He took the initiative. He set apart. He called. He revealed. This is how the gospel comes to anyone. We all have our own story of trying to live life on our own terms. For some of us, it's a story of failure, of self-destruction, of all the ways in which we have said that we get to decide what is right and wrong without regard for how it hurts ourselves or other people. For others of us here, our story is different, maybe a story that looks more like Paul's, a story of success and achievement and pride in what we have accomplished, along with the realization that despite all those things, we still are empty inside. Either way, 
We are dependent on God's grace. The classic movie from 1981, Chariots of Fire, tells the story of two British runners who ran in the 1924 Olympics, Eric Little and Harold Abrams. The film focuses on Eric Little's decision to give up his spot in the Olympics when it became clear that the schedule would require him to run on Sundays, or on, on a Sunday, the, the final race. He, he was a strict Sabbatarian and made it his policy never to run on Sunday. The other runner, Harold Abrams, was driven to win, and he built his whole life around it. Uh, he sacrificed, he trained, he had no issues with running on a Sunday. But just before his final race in the Olympics, Abrams explained to a friend that his greatest fear had become not losing, but winning. Right? Here's what he says. Now, in one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? I've known the fear of losing, but now I'm almost too frightened to win. Why was he frightened? Because he realized that he looked to his achievement to justify his existence. Winning the Olympics was his dream, but it was also his salvation. And in this moment, he realizes that even after he wins, he will be empty inside. In contrast, Eric Little, who is a Christian, is willing to give up his chance to run in the Olympics when it conflicts with his convictions about running on the Sabbath. It was an amazing opportunity, but he held it loosely because he knew that it was just another created thing. It wasn't his God. He knew what he believed and that he was justified, not by his achievements, but by God's grace as a gift. And this makes all the difference. Paul's experience of being called by God's grace led to a whole new way of life. This brings us to our last point today, what the gospel does in and through us. We've already talked about much of what it does in us. It, it frees us. When you believe that, that God is always moving towards you in his self-sacrificial love, then whatever cultural capital or standard that you might establish to judge your self-worth or the worth of others is taken away. If Jesus Christ is the revelation of God, then his suffering, self-sacrificial love frees you from the judgment of anyone, including yourself. This is what Paul is stressing in, in the last part of this passage as he tells about what he did in the years after his conversion. It's not that he refused the company of the other apostles or didn't want to be connected to them, but his point is that they couldn't add anything to the gift of grace that he had already received. He didn't need anything from any human being that God had not already given to him. God had met him, the chief of sinners, in grace, and that was sufficient for him. He didn't need to prove anything to anyone. He summarizes this point by saying that instead of going to Jerusalem uh, immediately after his conversion, uh, he went to Arabia. 
Why Arabia? In the parallel account of uh, Paul's conversion in, in Acts, there's no mention of Paul going to Arabia before Jerusalem, but he highlights it here. Why? You know, you, you would think that he would want to prove to the Galatians that he had uh, the approval of the other apostles, and so he went to Jerusalem right away to, to you know, make sure that he was right in his views. But instead, he tells them he went to Arabia. In the Bible, Arabia is where you go, not to meet with other people, but to meet with God. It's where you find Mount Sinai, where God met with his people after redeeming them from slavery in Egypt. It's where Moses goes up the mountain to see the Shekinah glory of God. Arabia is where the prophet Elijah goes when he's running from Jezebel. He goes to Arabia and he hears the still small voice of God. So Paul is saying, uh, I went to Arabia uh, because when God called me, I didn't need human approval, but I needed to spend time with this God. He needed time for the gospel to work its way into his soul. And I think this shows us what we all need. And not just once, but, but regularly in the Christian life. Just as Jesus himself would retreat to wilderness spaces to spend time with his father. We need space for reflection and prayer on this reality of God's grace. The pastor Eugene Peterson writes about this passage and he makes this point saying, how do we make the transition from living our habitual guilts and rejections to living the freedom and acceptance which now surrounds us in the gospel? Arabia is one way a place to meditate and praise, a time to sink ourselves into newfound truths. A few hours set aside in a quiet room can be Arabia. An hour of worship each Sunday can be Arabia. Seizing times of apartness and solitude, we can explore the meaning of God's love for us, develop the ramifications of God's forgiveness of us, and deepen the sense of God's acceptance of us. In Arabia, you realize that God's presence is what you need more than anything else. And you desire him more than the other things that we so often use as substitutes. In worship, we love and adore God for who he is rather than what we can get from him. We see him as beautiful and we praise him. We're going to see next week how the gospel works through us to affect all our decisions and, and relationships and community life. But today, just notice what Paul says in verse 16. That God was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles. Paul had experienced a gift of grace that he did not deserve, that he had done nothing to earn. And in fact, if he deserved anything, he deserved the exact opposite, judgment and rejection for being a person of violence and hatred. And yet God called him and had a purpose for him to bring his grace to others who also had no, done nothing to deserve it. This is also the purpose that God has for anyone who knows that they've been called by his grace. When Jesus appeared to the disciples on the day of the resurrection, he said to them, 
Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He reminds his disciples, he reminds all of us of his peace, the peace won through his death and resurrection, and then he invites us to be united to him by faith to participate in what he's doing in the world. We are sent in his grace and with his peace. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for this message uh, that uh, we need to hear again and again of your love and acceptance in Christ. Would you expose those parts of our hearts uh, where we still hold back from you, where we uh, want to worship something in this world rather than you? Uh, would you free us so that we might see you for who you are, see your beauty, and uh, praise you and worship you alone? It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.